Chase Banking Chief Operating Officer LaVonda Renfro began this podcast with the intention of sharing the stories of the people behind the bank. That was a simple concept that quickly unveiled how purpose drives everyone in everything they do. Hearing the stories of these aha moments in life that led to their passions was exciting. And who would have thought a bank podcast could reveal such impactful conversations? One of our more inspiring stories was with Bill Cauley, Chairman and CEO of Cauley Partners, a local Dallas commercial real estate company. Bill shares the moment in his life that moved him into a path of service and gratitude. Let's take a listen. I think that's a great way to put it. And I think that the work ethic and just what you put back into it is, is really important. And because of that, it also teaches you how to, that it's more important than yourself. You can't be bigger than you know the, the community you live in. And one of the things I'm most interested in talking to you about is really you found that at some point in your life that it really was what you invested in, what you worked for, but what you gave back and not just monetarily, quite frankly. So yeah. I do want to talk a little bit about that, your community and your charity work and what drove you to do that and why you do it. Okay. So, I have two defining times in my life where my life got dramatically diverted. I was raised in a, we had, my mom and dad had a good marriage. We, you know, I was raised in a very, very good setting. I was raised as a Catholic and we went to church on Sunday. So the first thing was I had a bad alcohol problem, right? And when you have issues with alcohol or drug abuse or anything like that, You kind of try to be around other people that have those same issues so it becomes normal, right? Right. So you surround yourself with people that have the same dysfunction as you. And the other issue is, is that when you have that problem, the biggest issue is denial, right? You don't want to really face the fact that that's the truth. So I had an alcohol problem and it got to where I couldn't kid myself anymore. I knew it was something I had to do something about. And Uh so that has in turn led me into being open about it because I think God puts people in your life that have similar issues. And if you're Uh transparent about it, he'll bring me opportunity to help. So I went through a time of, I got sober and I went to AA and got sober. And I was, I didn't get sober the first time, but I was really committed to it. And so I was able to get sober when I was 30. So I've been sober since September 22nd, 1985. So sobriety was number one because it gave me the confidence that once I did it, there was nothing I didn't think I could do because it seemed so insurmountable when I started it. It's a day at a time, but I got the confidence that, hey, I could compete or I could do something else. So I was overweight, a heavy smoker and a drinker. So I eliminated drinking, eliminated smoking, and then I got healthy. So I started exercising and working on myself. Then another one that was a life converter was my faith. So Mm -hmm. I got sober and I started building my business and my business was booming. I mean, because I was driven, I was doing well, but I was a consumer. I was, I had no intimacy in my life. I was kind of, I kept people at a distance, right? There's, I, I just wasn't, I was afraid a little bit. So I went on a motorcycle trip to Aspen on the 4th of July in 1997, and I got in a motorcycle accident. I was uh, on the highway passing a a truck and more or less got run off the road. And I flew off the road and 
uh, it was bad. I mean, my right leg was over my throat. My Both my arms were just totally broken. Uh, the biggest piece of bone from my elbow to my wrist was an inch. And I was laying in the ditch thinking I was taking my last breath, right? Right. So everything that was important, money, another deal, build another building, became unimportant. And everything I've been putting off in my life came right to the forefront. Yeah. My faith, where am I going? What's going to happen here if I die in this ditch? What's my legacy? And not my legacy for the world, but what had I accomplished? What, am, right. what had I done that was meaningful in this world? I don't really mm-hmm. care what people, I don't want attention to me, but I just mm-hmm. want to know that when I'm on this earth, I'm accomplishing something, right? Right. And so right. I laid in that ditch and for the first time in 10 years, I prayed and I made a deal with God. And I said, God, if you let me live through this, I'm changing it up. I didn't have a great relationship with my kids, my adult kids, because of my alcoholism. Right. They were mad at me because I blew up a marriage, you know, and I just had a lot of things I needed to fix. So I lived, I went through a year of surgeries. I had nine surgeries over a year. Mm -hmm. And as I got healthy, I really went on a journey, a faith journey to find a relationship with God. I've been raised as a Catholic and there wasn't a lot of intimacy in that religion. And um, so I ended up, I had bought a house before I went on this motorcycle trip. Uh There was a guy cleaning pools that was doing it part-time. He was a a music minister for a Christian church in Carrollton. Okay. And he started witnessing to me because I was sitting there in a, in a wheelchair with my arms. I couldn't move. And he would bring wow. little Walkman and let me listen to tapes. And so over that process, I had a faith conversion. And in that yeah. faith conversion, it softened me. Mm-hmm. It, it opened me up. And I became more transparent about who I am because, Mm -hmm. you know, I think so many people are afraid to show people their weaknesses. And really when I think when you share them, it, it gives you an opportunity for people to open more up to you. I think the more open we are with each other, the more intimate your relationships get. Because as I get older, it's more about deeper relationships than new ones, right? Right. You want to pour into people that have meaning to you instead Mm -hmm. of, I don't want 30 new friends. No, I'll take them. But I want right. them to be I want them to be deep and meaningful. So through that, one, it was important to do the right thing at work, right? So right. no exaggeration, always be honest. And it's all those things that you have to train yourself to do. But so part a big part of that was giving back, right? So right. early in my life, I had no money and I had, you know, I was chasing it. So I only thing I could do was give time. So one of the big ones was minis. So right. Brian, my partner, we went and worked there as a company. We volunteered and we were packing boxes. Minis is a food pantry in Plano. She wants to open one in South Dallas that we're working on with you guys to help her right. do that. Right. And anyway, Cheryl Jackson is a special lady. We're there and we're doing, you know, doing all this work. And she's over in the corner crying. This is like a week before Thanksgiving. I don't know, this is five years ago, six years ago. And I went up to her and I go, what's wrong? And she says, well, one of the grocery stores that have, that normally supply our turkeys for Thanksgiving, yeah. this is in 07, 8, 9, when everybody was getting hurt. Right. They, they're not going to supply the turkeys. I said, well, we're, how many turkeys do you need? She said, well, I need like 16,000 turkeys. I said, well, in, I'm in, I'll, I'll buy the turkeys. And oh. it wasn't me. It's, you know, our company. I mean, it's God's right. blessing that, that allowed us to do it. But so we got involved with minis and I think she's special. I think yeah, she gives and she allows people to have grace in how she gives. And so, dignity. Yeah. Dignity is the key word. When people yeah. have a need, they're embarrassed. She doesn't let yeah. that happen. She makes them feel right. good about themselves. 
So that's one. Behind every door will dial. Right. I mean, it's a faith-based organization. I'm a right. big giver to faith-based organizations because I think right. you can help people a lot, but if they don't have salvation and they don't know where they're going when this is mm-hmm. over, the peace right. that having God in your life is critical. And so I'm a big believer in sharing my faith and, and, and supporting faith-based organizations. Wow, what a great story. Thank you to Bill Cauley for being vulnerable and sharing your story about your journey to sobriety and how your faith guides you in everything you do. Following that great story is another heartfelt conversation with Cheryl Jackson, founder of Minnie's Food Pantry in Dallas, Texas. Her personal story of struggling to feed her family touched everyone as we recorded, but more importantly was how she took those experiences and used that as motivation to serve her community and show them the dignity that they deserve when asking for help. Let's take a listen. Well, listen, I, I do want to, I want to talk about Minnie's Pantry in general first, how you guys started and why you started it, because our show is about just people with a purpose, ordinary people who found a purpose in their life and started something that got bigger. So tell us a little bit more about how you started Minnie's Pantry and why. I started Minnie's Food Pantry because there was a place in my life where I had two kids and um, my husband and I were both working five jobs collectively and we couldn't make ends meet. Um, and so I just said, you know, my father was a pastor and my father, when he married us, he told my husband, if you can't take care of my daughter, bring her back. My husband remembered those words. So he said, you can't tell your dad you don't have food. And I said, well, OK, what can I do? And so I said, well, let me just go apply for food stamps. And it was literally the most horrific experience ever. I remember going in the room and babies crying, um, people women crying and it just, it, it was terrible, but I just knew that I had to go through it because I needed a meal and um, I got declined. I made $8 more than what the government would allow. And so they handed me this bag and they said, well, you can take this. And I took that bag home, that brown paper bag. And when I opened it up, everything in the bag was expired. And I just remember crying and saying, I still can't make a meal for my family. And that's all I wanted. Nobody knew it because I would smile in public and I would strategically go to people's homes that I knew loved us and go during their meal time so that I knew they would at least feed my own family. Life got better for us a little bit. I started working for Emmett Smith. I started doing the red carpet for Entertainment Tonight. I interviewed at the Oscars and then my dad died suddenly and when my dad died I went into a three-year depression I lived across the street from my parents and my mother came over and said you're gonna die if you don't get up I got down to I think like 106 pounds wow if you don't get up you're going to die and I said well you're all I have left and I just want the world to know your name her name was Minnie I said what can I do and that little whisper said well feed people treat them how you wanted to be treated Uh so I, I remember growing up with seven kids in the family my mother would always sing and we would always sing so <laughs> Yes. You know, I just thought, what could life be like if a person who needed a meal could come into a place and there was music playing that they were celebrating the person saying it's OK not to be OK. And my mother always hugged everybody. So because of COVID, we can't do it. But I was like, and what would it be like if they walked in and someone was at the door with their arms stretched open wide saying it's OK once again? And what would it be like if they received the type of meal that I wanted? And most importantly, I rolled out a red carpet because I remember working the red carpet and people crazy with celebrities. And I said, what would it be like if a person who walks in with their head down saw a red carpet had been rolled out for them in their time of need? And they pull up their head and a lot of people go, what is this? Is this for me? And so that's what we created. I started with two cans of corn and I had Uh the first and last month's rent. And I just, it was just a leap of faith. I just knew that I wanted to feed people. And there were so many people probably in the world, just like me, who just something happened in their life and whatever happened, they couldn't make a meal. 
meal and everybody deserves a meal. Oh, isn't that the truth? <laughs> oh, okay. No, you, <laughs> you know, and that's the beauty of it is that when I do interviews, I pray every time that people get and understand why I do what I do. I don't come to work. This isn't work for me. This is in my blood. It's in my soul. It is me saying that when I read a letter that says I wanted to commit suicide, but I came to Minnie's and because of how kind the people were, I decided to stay another day. I don't understand um, the pressure that's on any individual, especially if you have children, to have a meal, a decent meal at that, and then to be treated with dignity and integrity. And so it is our job at Minnie's. Um, even today, we have 87 volunteers. This is our first big reopening. When I tell you we're singing and we're dancing <laughs> and they're laughing and they're crying, just like what you're doing, that is the place and space that we have for that, where we take people and we say, step out of whatever you're going through and think uh-huh. about what this individual who didn't want to come here today had to come here for. And then you be that smile, you be that hope and you be that joy. When people cry, I always say you get it because a lot of people just don't get it. But those that get it, (laughs) we connect and we keep Mm -hmm. going. And that's what's made many so special because of people like you that's getting it. After, you know, I've interviewed Bill Cawley was a big supporter and left off with Bill as well. And one of the things you said earlier that I think makes difference and difference that not only your passion for that, but the dignity that you give to people who, to your point, just want a meal and don't want to feel embarrassed and they're doing what they can and everyone, no one deserves to be hungry and no one, no matter what's happened, right? In their life. People don't understand when I say they deserve something better. You know what I mean? Dang, aren't they happy? I mean, give them this. And you know what? When I first started, people thought I was really crazy because they would give me expired canned goods. I literally asked God not to let me forget the feeling that I had so that nobody else would have that feeling. And so when they would give me expired canned goods or dented cans, I would tell people, please close your eyes for just a moment. I say, now um, open them up and pretend like I am the person you love the most in this world. Would this be the meal that you want me to give to them? Because they could come see me tomorrow and you just don't know about it. And people start going, oh, I get it. And they would go back to the store and they would buy healthy fruits, snacks right. and stuff for kids. And it just changed the way that they saw it. Because a lot of people are like, well, they should just be grateful. They should just be grateful. And right. yeah, I right. was grateful for the meal, but I'm like, but I deserved better. And everybody deserves better. And that's what Minnie's created, a better way to serve people. It's okay to not be okay. Inspiring words from an inspiring person. Thank you to Cheryl and Minnie's Pantry for serving our community. Another great angle to Truth in Texas Banking is how LaVonda weaves in guests who speak on the subject of leadership. Being a leader is important to your career and your community. Let's hear from one of Veritex Bank's team members, Darlene Ellison, who shares one of the most moving moments in her career where she was recognized for her character. I think a great advice is always listen to who you're working with and not just what's out in the masses, right? Correct. So having said that, I think that, you know, you've got high energy. You're always <laughs> on. And it's really one of the things I have to say, it's always authentic. I've never come across, well, she's really not in a good mood. You're always in a good mood. And I know you have to do that. But really, darling, you had to have highs and lows throughout your career and throughout your life. And that's important, too, to figure out what are those highs and lows and how'd you get where you are and how do you stay this energy? Well, I definitely have bad days (laughs) and I know what to do with those days because those are things that I just have to have a little quiet to work my way through them. And I think, and that's the key. You know, I came across this this quote actually um, earlier today about when when life knocks you onto the ground, 
to turn over and look at the stars. Hard to do some days. Yeah. (laughs) Hard to do, especially when you've experienced things that actually have knocked you to the ground. Excuse me. So my lows in my career have been when I was the most scared because life threw me a curveball I never expected. And I was terrified because in every one of those um, career changes, I had young children and in two of those career changes, I was the sole provider for them. And that's terrifying. But in every opportunity, keeping with the turnover and look at the stars, um, I think I would add to that, that you get really quiet and you get really open to what the world has to offer. And um, so fear of change would be the low spots. And I, I won't go into detail, but I felt it a few times right? as it relates to my banking career. Mm-hmm. So I, I've worn hats. Uh, I've been an entrepreneur. I've worn hats as a um, licensed psychologist, um, worn hats as a development consultant. Um, in fact, my resume looks quite schizophrenic, I'm sure. <laughs> Every one of those. And I joke around with young women. I say, you look at this and you think, whoa, what's what going on with be? that? <laughs> and my reality is um, sometimes life turns, gives you a curveball. You need to look back at what you've done Mm -hmm. and consider those stepping stones and move forward. So for me, when I first entered the banking world, it was kicking and screaming, Mm -hmm. but there there was a board, mostly men, who knew me and knew what I had done in my past development and and a lot of fun development, you know, and said, hey, you know, we should see if she could come do this in in our bank. Mm -hmm. And my father is a lifetime banker. Right. And the last thing I wanted to be was a banker. So I told them that. Right. And I remember a second meeting and they said, what would it take? And it was really, be- I said, why do you want me to do this? I, I'm not a banker. I have a finance degree, but I'm not a banker. And they said, because you know so many people. I'm like, seriously? <laughs> but I took that leap when they said, what is it going to take? And literally what came out, because I was having a bad day, right. was I need health insurance for my children and I don't know what to do. And I remember the gentleman sitting across the table saying, done. Now what? And I thought, oh, no, I have to become a banker. (laughs) And um, it was really that was the scariest thing for me. And then to look back. So let me tell you about the most and and throughout my career and doing different things. You know, I've I've earned awards and awards are great and they're nice. And the most amazing moment time in my career was actually recently when Veritex honored me with the chairman's award. When I started in banking, I said, well, what's my title going to be? And my pay was like a very part-time pay, even though I was working part-time. And the answer was, and this is, you know, we weren't Veritex Bank yet. And and the answer was, I don't know. I don't know. What do you want us to call you? It was like there was no... The Darlene that they had brought on didn't exist in the in the workspace, right. and so I just kind of went along with that, and to um, and climbed and climbed and worked hard, and it was a single mom and running after kids, and 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 I've won awards through yes, for sales has. production and things like that, and which are amazing, mm-hmm. but in a year where I took on some new roles here and to be recognized and to look at the table after I, you know, went onto the stage and look at the volunteer of the year, which is about hours in your community. Right. And to look at the chairman's award that said, it's not about the what you do. It's about the how you do it. You have no idea what that meant because I climbed a ladder that I didn't think I could. And that was my low. And I stood 
on a stage arm in arm with people that I admire tremendously who said, it's because of who you are, Darlene, that we are happy you are here. And for any woman listening, that was the most amazing experience to be recognized by the people you spend time with. And when you work, you're a banker. I'm a banker. Yep, you are. <laughs> but to be acknowledged for the type of person you are, for your integrity, for the culture that you participate in and set forth, um, for the way you lead, there's no greater, no greater reward. Well, no one deserved it more, Darlene. And we, and we were proud to, to honor you with Thank that. Thank you. Thank you, Darlene, for being a leader at Veritex Community Bank. It's team members like you that make being a banker so special. And last but not least, here's a conversation LaVonda had with Jamie Roots, former president of the Houston Texans. LaVonda and Jamie discuss how compassionate leaders can create an organization of compassionate team members when that's the root of the culture to take care of one another. Here is Jamie's story and how the Texans rallied for the entire city during Hurricane Harvey. So one of the things when you were speaking about, you have a passion for success, but you also have a passion for compassion. And so tell me about Hurricane Harvey and what you did during that time that affected, you know, so many in the Houston area. Yeah, well, it, our focus on having a commitment to the community really started with the McNair family. You know, without, mm-hmm. you know, support of ownership, you can't go there, right? And they were exactly. in the beginning. You know, we're, we're here for Houston. In fact, when we codified the three imperatives, it was win championships, create memorable experiences, and do great things for Houston, right? It started around Hurricane Katrina. We did something really big. Ike, we did some of the bid, then there have been smaller things, but Harvey was really an exceptional window for us. Really, the team led in, a, in an exceptional way, I believe. But J.J. Watt, I mean, what he did in terms of, you know, just an idea, maybe I can do some challenge uh, fundraising and uh, tens of millions of dollars later, Houstonians and folks all along the Gulf Coast, you know, were were benefited by it. And then coming back to Houston and J.J. orchestrates a day for all of our players to get out and face to face work with the folks that have been impacted so significantly. So that was really a gratifying time. And it's just, it became part of the culture, you know, and culture is so important within any organization. And if the cultural norm is give back to the community in an exceptional way, that's what you go and do. Sometimes people talk a lot about it and there's a lot of posters on a wall and things like that. But to do those types of things, to really give back to the community, which even living in Dallas, seeing it from afar, it really made you want to root for the Texans even or and root for Houston. I live in Dallas. So it was great to see that, that connection that you guys made with the community that you were you're talking about that was so severely impacted. Tell us what your term get better mentality means. I want to know what that means. Yeah, that's an interesting phrase. So anytime individuals and organizations look at performance, you, you have two different mindsets, an acceptance mindset and a growth mindset. The acceptance mindset is to defend why what we did was okay. You know, yeah. we did this, that, and the other thing. The growth mindset was we know we're okay, but where are the places that we can get better. Mike Van Gundy has a great line, a basketball coach, former basketball coach and now commentator, that never ignore in victory what you wouldn't ignore in defeat. 
So it isn't about whether you won or you lost. It's about constantly looking for those little edges that can make you better. If you focus on getting better always, you kind of in some ways take getting worse off the table because you've got a clear direction that we we want to get better every time we go out and do what we do. And mm-hmm. when that becomes a cultural norm and you're peeling back the onion time and time again, you know, you, you look back a few years later and you're like, wow, a small incremental progress consistently uh-huh. applied has gotten us where we wanted to go. I love that you put that in that context, but it's also, you know, it's not just about the players that are on the field. It's about, you know, your whole team behind the scenes. They were saying the same thing. How do we get better? How's our ticket sales? You know, everything that we're doing, the whole experience, how do you get better every time with that? Yeah. And you have to create a safe environment where folks are, are feel comfortable admitting not just the victories, but uh, or touting the victories, but admitting the defeats, the things that we tried this, it didn't go well. Here's what we're going to do differently next time to get a better result and, uh, and know that they're not going to be admonished for it. I mean, you can't make mistakes after mistake after mistake, right? Sure. Or that sure. definitely the same mistake again. But people have to be feel comfortable that they can admit that this didn't go right because, you know, sunlight is the greatest disinfectant. And until you recognize, <laughs> realize, and, and accept that this wasn't our best, you won't do the work to make it your best next time. Does that drive you to see that success for people to grow in that area? Does that have passion and viewers to see people incrementally in themselves, not do just a better job, but see themselves grow? Absolutely. You know, early on in my career and probably everybody's career, you're focused so much on your own individual achievement and things that matter to you. But over time, as and as you ascend as a leader, it really needs to become about helping others, you know, exceed beyond their expectations, you know, to deliver more than they thought they could, you know, right. and instill that confidence in them and provide them with the support and the resources and the the guidance. And then uh, over time, you know, they don't need as much as that. And they they have the confidence to go out and, you know, and, and do great things. This is certainly one of our favorite stories. Who better than an NFL executive to share such great advice on leadership and culture? Thank you, Jamie Roots. Well, that concludes our first Best of Truth in Texas Banking. We hope you enjoyed these conversations as much as we have, and we look forward to sharing more stories from our community leaders. 